Friday night on the Fan Pregame Sportsnet and Sports at 590 The Fan. Ailish Forver, Justin Cuthbert, a big Friday night, a big weekend in general. A big rundown of guests as well. Ron McLean's going to join us in about five minutes. The biggest guest. You, there's nothing better than Ron McLean. Um, talk about the Canadian teams in action this weekend, uh, of course, tonight, and the Hockey Hall of Fame induction, which begins this weekend. Big weekend for. All the celebrities in the city. Uh, Julia McKenzie will join us at 6.30 from Scotiabank Arena to help tee up Leafs and Flames. And Dan Riccio at 6.45 to help set up the second half of the Maple Leafs back-to-back this weekend, of course, against the Red Hot Canucks. So lots of Canadian content, lots of guests on your Friday night. And there's going to be a lot of cutaways to Brad Living tonight, <laughs> won't there be? Uh, it's a big Brad Living night. It's a big show-your-work night for Brad Living. You know, and like math class growing up and you you have the answer but you have no idea how you got there and you just like let's just focus on the answer focus on the team and just hope for the best maybe brad for living it's it's a it's at least a weekend where you can look at what he's done the two teams he's built and right now the two teams that he's built that he has his fingerprints on combined 10 12 and 3 record for the teams playing tonight calgary flames toronto maple leafs of course brad for living now pulling the strings for the toronto maple leafs so it's a show your work diet for Trilliving. There's going to be a little extra attention on him. They'll have the the split screen a lot when it's Trey Living and something on the ice. Trey Living and one of his contracts that he signed. Mm. And you said something off air to me that maybe three of the worst NHL contracts in the league and also happen to be his might be on the ice or in the building tonight because one of them might not be playing. Yeah, and John Klingberg and, and Ryan Reeves would be the two, I think, that you'd pick out for the Maple Leafs. But, like, it's hard to be really bad on a one-year deal, so maybe we can absolve John Klingberg. And I guess you can kind of bury Ryan Reeves' money if you really have to. But the one that stands out is Jonathan Huberto. In the first year of a eight-year contract, paying him $10.5 million, $84 million, and he is already at the front and center of the issues for the Calgary Flames. He's not we'll, playing any third-period minutes anytime. Yeah, we'll get into that with Julian McKenzie uh, just a little bit, how big that problem really is. But in terms of contracts that are the worst NHL-wide, it probably belongs to Huberto. And I guess by an extension, it belongs to Brad Living. Okay, so before we bring in Ron McLean, uh, Luke Fox of, of Sportsnet, of course, put a, a great article today, sportsnet.ca, kind of talking about if the Flames and the Leafs could be good trade partners. Now, I don't know how eager you are to run back and trade with your ex, but there are some really intriguing players on the Calgary Flames that all happen to be defensemen and pending UFA defensemen that Brad Tree Living recruited to go to Calgary. Um, Hannafin, Tanev, and Zadorov, all three names that Luke mentioned in his article that we could have our eyes on tonight as the Maple Leafs definitely need to bolster their blue line. But is is it the best-case scenario if the Leafs win, Calgary starts to really fall apart, and maybe their tire fire, their sale starts going, and Brad Tree Living's up there in the press box tonight planting the seed? I do think this is one little built-in advantage for the Maple Leafs this year because the team that Brad Tree Living just left and has extremely strong ties to, and I think still really good relationships, I would be shocked if they weren't good. Well, they have three defensemen who are <laughs> pending unrestricted free agents all of whom are pretty good and would mm-hmm. represent upgrades for the Toronto Maple Leafs wherever you want to slot them between Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, and Nikita Zdorov, as you mentioned. If things go fully off the rails, and as, you're, as you mentioned, the Maple Leafs can kind of contribute to it going off the rails tonight with a victory, I think it would be malpractice to not trade these guys unless Noah Hannafin wants to re-up. And if you're going to find a way to trade them, I feel like the easiest way to do it to come to an agreement would be with someone you trust. And I do think the trust will be there with your living. 
in addition to the need, I do think it's something that could work out really well for the Maple Leafs. I just wonder which one you choose. I think we should ask Julian too. Uh, which one between those three uh, potential Flames trade candidates would be the best fit on this Maple Leafs blue line if and when we get there? Okay, we'll talk to Julian McKenzie around 6.30 uh, from Scotiabank Arena, head of Maple Leafs and Calgary Flames tonight. But it is a legendary weekend, and we've got a legendary guest, Ron McLean, joining us of Hockey Night in Canada. Ron, how's it going? Thanks for coming on the show. It's great, Ailish and Justin. I want to hear Julian. I want to get this over with so I can hear which of the three defensemen Toronto should go after. Maybe all three. <laughs> we'll get yeah. your we'll get your thoughts well, on the Maple Leafs for sure. But um, with the Hall of Fame weekend, I wanted to start there because I know this is something special to all fans. Love this one, especially specifically in this in the city of Toronto. Um, it's a big one for goaltenders. Maybe a long-awaited Hall of Fame weekend that really focuses on goaltending. Well, actually, to tie into what you were just discussing, Tree Living and the relationship with Calgary, if they were to become partners, uh, obviously, Cliff Fletcher famously got Doug Gilmore in a multiplayer swap uh, back in the early 90s that transformed the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I think of Scotty Bowman. He was working as our color, color analyst with Chris on Hockey Night in Canada, and he saw Vernon win the Conn Smythe Trophy in 1989. And that's when he went to Ken Holland in Detroit and said, let's get Vernon because we got to go against Grant Fuhrer. We got to go against Patrick Roy. And we love Osgood, but he's 22. He might be slightly intimidated by those guys. Mike Vernon won't be. And uh, that's where that kind of thing always comes into play. It'll be great tomorrow night on Hockey Night because Kelly's done a sit down with Mike Vernon and they were together in San Jose. And I know Kelly, he will bring up the fact that as a 16-year-old, he played against Mike Vernon, who was in Calgary, and Kelly was with the Edmonton Athletic Club, and they won the provincial championship over Vernon and the Calgary squad. So I'm sure Kelly will rib him about that. And uh, he loves Vernon. Uh, You know, we all do. Uh, Mike invited Kelly and me to join uh, Jane and the party afterwards on Saturday night but as you know we don't get off till Scott Oak finishes which is like four in the morning so uh, we might miss the party on uh, Saturday night but we're going to be all tuned in to see uh, one of our favorites go into the hall maybe Scott can uh, wrap it up a little bit quicker yeah, for no you. Not, not possible <laughs> and believe me that is the kettle calling the teapot black so, <laughs> exactly, exactly I'm the last guy to say he talks too much uh, I want to ask you about uh, Henrik Lundqvist because he is I guess the star leading the marquee uh, for this weekend uh, in terms of Hall of Fame he's the one that has as the most recent career. We definitely remember him, uh, at least uh, Ailish and I would remember him more than Barrasso uh, and Vernon, who have been out of the league for over 20 years apiece. But we do remember Henrik Lundqvist. When it comes to Hank, what comes to mind for you? What is like the prevailing thought when you reflect on Henrik Lundqvist? Uh, do you think it's the briefcase? I think it's the briefcase. Walking in uh, when he would be caught on camera, he always was a sh- great dresser, mm-hmm. uh, but he carried that briefcase. And I always wondered, what is in that satchel? What has he got? Notes and scouting reports. And it's like uh, Brent Burns with his knapsack. Uh, he was so professional. And, you know, it's interesting. Calgary will probably turn to Dustin Wolf on this Eastern swing, maybe on Hockey Night against Ottawa tomorrow. Uh, but he was a seventh round pick for Calgary, Dustin Wolf. And he's taken five years to get to the show. And that's the story, as you know, with Henrik Lundqvist. He was drafted seventh round, 205th overall. Um, highly unlikely that he would you know, become the star he became. But it took a few years. He w- took his time getting to the NHL. And then coming out of the lockout, he absolutely took it by storm, which is just uh, you know, a credit to him. Because like in the case of Tom Barrasso, he had a great rookie season, Calder Trophy, Vesna as a rookie. 
and then ended up the following year in Rochester. Had to go down for a, a stint. Again, Scotty Bowman involved in that. He drafted him out of high school. Um, but he had a, a sophomore jinx. Grant Fuhr had a phenomenal rookie year, and then he ended up with the Moncton Alpines. He had to go back down. So, uh, And even when I think of Jack Campbell, you know, it didn't look good in Bakersfield last night, but the guy in Los Angeles right now, Cam Talbot, is the guy they ran out of Edmonton five years ago, and now he's got an amazing, you know, nine thirty save percentage and two zero zero goals against. So there's a little hope for for Jack because it's tough. And and on Huberto, same thing. It's it's hard to play for money. Wayne Gretzky said, you know, he didn't get paid until the end of his career. Really, Eric Lindros kind of opened the door for Wayne to start to get the money he deserved. But it was Bruce McNall who opened his wallet and gave Wayne more than Wayne thought he deserved because Wayne was one of those guys. I got to build a good team here. I'm not selfish and I'm not worried about me. Um, but he wasn't getting market value or anything even close to market value. And when Bruce gave him a big, hefty raise, Wayne said, I struggled. I struggled mightily. And we're seeing that over with Huberto and Calgary. Uh, a weekend to celebrate some legends. Uh, today, the Pittsburgh Penguins will start to to get that ball rolling. Uh, they're going to retire Yager's number in February. Number 68 will be officially retired but he's still playing uh he's still kicking around uh where in his hometown his home club i wonder for you when he's first of all if he's ever going to retire but when he does should they just end this five-year waiting period get him in right away because he's just never going to hang him up and that's it that's every time we get the hall of fame weekend we think about this five-year period is that the thing you'd want to change most it's set in stone, and I, I mean, I guess I can't argue. It's not like he's Gretzky. Mm. He's great, but he's not quite Wayne Gretzky. And uh, I love Yager. One time I was doing the NHL awards, and it's a tough gig, right? You're in a room full of uh, peers, and nobody wants to laugh at the other's expense. And I always died in the monologue every time. And I got on the elevator, and there's Yager, and he says, uh, tough, eh? And, uh, but he was really great. He was always uh, had a wink about everything that he did. And you know, I think back, uh, Ailish, when he was in uh, 20 years ago, 2003, he was making 11 plus million dollars. So here we've come 20 years later and you've got uh, McKinnon and McDavid are at 12, just in change, uh, but they have escrow. So they're really right back where we started with Yager and Forsberg in 2003. And you flip that and you think about uh, what Andlauer, Michael Andlauer paid for the Ottawa Senators. It was nearly a billion dollars, whereas those 20 years ago, Eugene Melnick bought the Ottawa Senators and the rink for $92 million. So times have changed for the owners, but the problem for them is, is their uh, valuations are fantastic and they do make money when they sell. But in the case of the Canadian owners, it's, again, the cap hurts them. Uh, you, you mentioned it off the top. The Everybody, even Sheldon Keefe, looks at his core four uh, as, you know, who's going to get this ship righted? It's got to be them. And in the case of the Edmonton Oilers, we're already starting to point fingers. Jack Campbell got, you know, sent down for his $5 million, And certainly Dreisaitl and McDavid are beginning to feel the heat. And Nurse, too. I thought Nurse... You know, he tried so hard. He was he was incredible in San Jose last night, but he tried to do a little too much on one play, and it ended up in an odd man rush again, and that's been uh, the real challenge for Edmonton. And you can't blame him for trying, and th- again, I, I kind of put that to hard to play for money. Hard to play for money. There's a couple guys uh, with the Oilers making a lot of money, but again, it, it is it, it's it, it should have at least set in by now, you would think. Like, it's I don't think Connor McDavid is is bogged down by the financial situation, it's got to be something else because, frankly, it doesn't make much sense. We mentioned the goaltending, uh, but that was almost more ceremonial than anything because Stuart Skinner's not giving you much better than Jack Campbell. So when you look at that team, and maybe you've looked at this team differently since the Heritage Classic because maybe it is a trying-too-hard thing, but mm-hmm. there are deeper-seated like. issues. Like, oh, if if something... 
if they need something to get the ball rolling, Ron, like what is it? What needs to happen for them to turn this in the right direction? I, I would say Calvin Picker, Justin, might be the, the answer because it's amazing how Jordan Bennington took St. Louis from last place on New Year's Day to a Stanley Cup. And certainly Dwayne Rolison flipped the Oilers immediately upon his arrival. I know Pronger, and there's a lot of great things in Edmonton the year they went to Game 7 against Carolina, but it was 36-year-old Dwayne Rolison who who really did it for them. And uh, I said, Talbot's playing really well for the Los Angeles Kings right now. He's 36 years old. Pickard's only, I think, 31. But it's funny, a guy like that, that's often, Kippersoff was different, but he came in and saved Calgary in 2004 when they were really struggling in November. So I, I feel like a goalie is one option. Obviously, this whole approach of uh, defense first and trying new systems has you know, you can see it when you watch Edmonton. They're all pointing, not blaming. They're just pointing to, you go there. No, no, you go there. And it's this coverage mess that they can't seem to get out of. But again, I I don't point the finger even at Woodcroft on that because he saw what Vegas did to them. And I think they thought, okay, what's the, what's the missing piece here? Ken Holland didn't want to make a whole lot of changes. He liked his team. Um, so they tried a new system, but it's been chaotic for the Oilers. And I think if they back off that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fire Jay Woodcroft if I was Edmonton. He's, it's crazy. There's 19 coaches behind him. He's more tenured than 19 coaches. He's only been three years. So it's a tough gig in the NHL to be a coach. Hard to play for money. And it's certainly hard to coach in the National Hockey League. But I, I don't think they need to panic, believe it or not. Uh, they were there in uh, five years ago, the 2017-18 season after a great playoff. They got off to this brutal start, and they never came out of it. Uh, and it's got shades of that, um, but I, I don't think it's that. I, I think I see a great effort. Dreisaitl tried so hard last night. Um, I know, you know, the, the, the reactions in the room afterwards give you a sense of defeat and uh, throwing their hands up, but I don't feel that. I, I feel they are trying, and I feel they're just they, – they're feeling the weight of the expectation because we all put it on them as – odds on to win the Stanley Cup. We're going to play a little later in our show an audio clip. Um, Woodcroft was asked if he fears for his job, and he was pretty honest that he doesn't. And I think you're right on that. Like, it might not be the solution. But is he maybe owed a trade or owed something from Ken Holland and the organization to say, all right, we're not going to fire you, but let's give you something. Let's get you a trade. Let's get you a new piece, even if it's something that's not going to shake up, you know, the core. But just to give them a little bit of hope in that dressing room, a different face. Do you think that's something that Edmonton would be looking at doing even in the next couple weeks or even shorter term well they did it with pickard Mm -hmm. you know they they sent campbell down that's uh because you can't just keep going back to the two goalies and hope that they break out of it so that was a neat idea i thought because that's why scotty wanted vernon as i mentioned not only to play fuhr and roi but he wanted uh protection for a 22 year old chris osgood and vernon provided that so i think pickard as a veteran goalie will be good and i i just think I can't know, but it feels like the injuries to Ekholm and McDavid uh, are a, kind of an undercurrent of the problem. Where Vancouver got off to a horrible start a year ago, it was because Quinn Hughes revealed uh, the last day or so that he was playing with a groin situation all the way up until mid-December. So that's that's significant, and we we'll never know, you know, who's hurt and who's banged up, and if that's what it is, and it could be. Um, then that'll heal itself. It's just a matter of do they fall so far behind that this year is a write-off. Is the inverse just working for the Vancouver Canucks where, you know, everything wow. is working and it, and it just snowballs and becomes stronger and stronger and stronger? Or is there a better explanation for how dominant and how great they have been to start this year? Well, for me, Justin, it's the Heronic trade. Uh, Patrick Alvin or whoever figured out that Philip Heronic in Detroit was what they needed 
uh, I just think is the move of moves because it's elevated Quinn Hughes. That duo is the best for me on defense. Now, Boston's going to be on the show tomorrow night in Montreal too. So when Boston brought in Hampus Lindholm and you've got McAvoy and they've got an amazing defense. So maybe they're they're right there. But I just think that addition of Philip Hironik was a stroke of genius because they traded away their captain in Bo Horvat. They get a first-round pick, you know, as the key to the deal. And then they flip that for Hironik. And I think he's made all the difference. Plus... Would you have taken the guy off a TNT panel, Rick Tockett? I don't know that I would have, but I, I love him. I really love him. But that was that was interesting. And then would you have made Quinn Hughes the captain? I, mm. I don't know if that was automatic to me, um, but they did it. And look, you know, the proof's in the pudding. So they they have just collectively as a group, uh, I saw Emily Castonguay at the Hockey Canada Summit start of the year and she said, we have a good team. We just need a good start because they didn't get a good start a year ago. And this is where Edmonton finds itself, um, as we've all been saying, gets laid out there early. Uh, I got to ask you about the Hughes brothers, the brothers Hughes. Uh, I think they're trending towards being maybe the best hockey yes. family that I've ever seen in my life. But you're the hockey historian. You've got more uh, in that brain of yours to pick from. So what what sort of like how do you contextualize where they're going, given how good Jack Hughes is as a maybe a Hart Trophy guy, how good Quinn Hughes is, maybe Norris and Luke Hughes is kind of the unknown, but he's on a trajectory that we can only kind of dream of right now, given that how given how Definitely. good he's been as a rookie. So when you're comparing hockey families, can you already put the Hughes right at the top? You sure can put them in the conversation. The Stastny's mm. were electric when they came here in the 1980s. Uh, they they put up <laughs> one weekend. They put up 27 points in two games. So pretty good. <laughs> tough, but but I will say, beat that. you know, we thought Jack was the one on the heart trajectory, but mm. now Quinn's there. So it's hard to argue. I, I You know, this is a Friday night, and this is where these kids played uh, in the GTHL and played for the Marlies and uh, Marlboros. Um so this is a very special situation to see uh, Jimmy Hughes' three kids uh, doing what they're doing. Uh, it, it's a hockey through-and-through through story. Um, they used to, after playing, um, I think it was Thomas Durant, somebody had a great piece on the fact that they would sit and watch McDavid. After Quinn would play his game, he would sit and watch Strom and McDavid and some of the others. They, they just loved the game. And to see this uh, happening as a as a family story is is very special. But there's, you know... I, I'm from Red Deer, Alberta, as you know, Justin, and the guys from Viking, you know, I don't think they'd be happy with me if I <laughs> didn't think the Sputters are more mm. of a story than, than the three Hughes so far. <laughs> Long way to go. Uh, last one for you, Ron. Of course, we got to ask you about the Maple Leafs. Uh, do we have to thank the TTC for William Nylander's historic start What's to next? the season? I mean, maybe he found something good about not, not sitting in traffic, gets him on a start where he has not missed a point to start the season. Yeah, he, he it's a good cuz I've struggled to get into uh, as you know the, the Rogers campus it's not easy. I don't know what route I'm going to take tomorrow but it's been over 2 hours every time going mm-hmm. into into town. So maybe that is the secret and uh, I don't think I can get the go train to dip underground when it gets uh, past the Humber but I would love to. Anyway, uh Toronto, you know, their uh, their problem is obviously uh defending. Uh they to keep these leads uh, that the core four seems to be able to give them. Uh, they have to sort that out. And I think that's where you saw Sheldon Keefe's, and I thought your conversation about that was great the other day. Um, that They know they're not going to make a dent uh, against teams like Tampa or Boston. Uh, and now they're coming, but I think New Jersey might have some of the same issues as Toronto. Um, you know, they're, they're really they're close, but until they sort out that you know ability to protect a lead, uh, it's going to be a, a frustrating time for Sheldon Keefe. 
who's way more tenured uh, <laughs> even than Jay Woodcroft. He's yeah. got five years. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, Ron, we really appreciate your time tonight. Enjoy the ceremonies this weekend as much as you yeah. can get to and uh, lots of Canadian teams in action. It'll be a fun one this weekend. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Salish. Thanks, Justin. Thanks so Talk much. Uh, Ron Thanks, McLean Ron. of Hockey Night in Canada, of course. A big weekend for Canadian teams, a big weekend for the Hockey Hall of Fame induction. Be some celebrities floating around the city this weekend. I was looking forward to the backdrop because I knew we had Ron on Zoom from home. And I knew there'd be books, and there were even more than I could imagine. That was <laughs> a lot of books. That was like in that Dumbledore's events. office in <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah, it was in a good way. Like I like that's like historic. Felt it felt like it was like rich mahogany smell in there. And I feel like you know, like he's obviously master wordsmith, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, is that prep for the show? He is reads that every prep book every day. Cannons? Just picking one <laughs> off and finding a way Picks to a like weave that into that's that's the mastery of Ron McLean. Awesome I used the big word today, and you were stunned. <sighs> You don't even remember it? Yeah. Like, that's not a good See, word. that's You're bad. Like, but like, I had one good word. Oh, you said juxtaposition. <laughs> I said juxtaposition I said yesterday today. on the show, I feel like I taught you a but word. You might have. So I was preparing for Ron McLean. I didn't even go. use it in our interview. Bummer. Um, all right, so a couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, we mentioned the Sheldon Keefe uh, and his lines for tonight. Uh, John Klingberg out of the lineup on a little day-to-day injury situation. And Keefe, not a scratch. Keefe was quick to make sure the reporters knew that he came out and was like, I know you're going to ask me about the lineups. John Klingberg's not playing. He's dealing with a little bit of an injury. Uh, because obviously, you know, it's convenient timing if you're trying to write the narrative that he was going to get healthy scratch and then he isn't healthy scratch because he's injured. But nonetheless, no John Klingberg in the lineup tonight. Uh, they've got a big trip to Sweden coming up in a couple of days. They've got two games here uh, to round up this little stretch. But uh, maybe some rest is best for John Klingberg. Yeah, and even just a fractional reprieve because, in you know, some uh, partly explaining, at the very least, his poor play mm-hmm. is the fact that he's dealing with some injuries. And a lot of people are dealing with injuries. And his, I guess, was less severe than that of Jake McCabe, who returns to the lineup in place of John Klingberg. But if there is some injury that is slowing you down, that is affecting your play, at least get out in front of that. Mm -hmm. So it's partly the reason why John Klingberg has had such a struggle to start with the Maple Leafs so far. And maybe a little rest and a return home to Sweden can help this guy uh, get it sorted. A little home cooking. It's been pretty rough. Yeah, whatever they got in Sweden, that'll heal you up. Yeah, whatever they need to do to help the situation. Some Swedish meatballs. Uh, Calgary Flames tonight. Vancouver Canucks tomorrow. Uh, a back-to-back for the Leafs. Joseph Wall gets to start tonight against the less offensive, powerful team, which is interesting. Samsonov gets tomorrow night against, obviously, the Red Hot uh, mm-hmm. Vancouver Canucks. I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know what I would have done, but it, you had to make a decision to play one each night. And Joseph Wall tonight is interesting. Yeah, I think they're both like... Joseph Wall definitely gets the easier start in the Calgary Flames because the Vancouver Canucks are so hot. And generally, you get a better effort on the first night of a back-to-back, at least from your team. Let's win this one and see what happens Saturday night? Maybe so. Maybe so. Mm. But I don't don't think they're in any position to pick and choose. I I think it's just like, hey, this is... can we get? Can we win this game? Can we win it for Brad? Get, it's not even about like, hey, can we put Samsonov in the best spot? It's just like, what are we doing now? We need two points. Let's take care of that later on. Okay, so I think you have a selection for our picks tonight from uh, Toronto and Calgary. It's time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Uh, I'm going back to the well against the San Jose Sharks. Vegas on the puck line, the extra puck line minus two and a half, plus over six and a half in tonight's game against the Sharks, uh, plus two twenty five. I mean. I watched that Sharks game last night. I don't know how, how Edmonton lost, but the Vegas Golden Knights are unbelievable. 
So they're, they have to beat them by more than one goal. Yeah, in terms of like the second night of a back-to-back, yes. how difficult it could be going to Vegas or playing Vegas would be as tough. The Sharks blocked 30 shots themselves yesterday. I don't even know how they're physically playing tonight. Yeah, those are Super Bowl. Hard to win <laughs> the game after your Super Bowl. Right. I-, I am going to Calgary and Toronto, as you mentioned, and they do have a big ceremony. Mm. It's not the longest ceremony in the world, but the Hockey Hall of Fame ceremony is a ceremony nonetheless where the legs might be a little tired as the teams wait on the bench for their time to hit the ice. So I don't know if it'll be sloppy or sleepy. I'm going with sloppy. Both teams to score. Calgary, Toronto, first period. Yes, plus 130. An additional <laughs> pick. Nazem Kadri's going to want to oh, score a goal. score for sure. And I didn't like the price on Kadri goal, but I do like the price on trying to score a goal. Over three and a half shots, plus 125. A big revenge game for Nazem Kadri for Brad Tree Living, uh, who's facing his old team and maybe some people on that team that he might want to have stay in the Scotiabank locker room area afterwards. Maybe a trade's made while they're on the ice. Maybe. Maybe he'll just, like, do the conversations instead of going to the press box where he where the camera can <laughs> yeah. find him because, like, you know he's going to be cut to over and over and over again, and maybe he wants to avoid that. All right. Well, that was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590 The Fan with Julian McKenzie from Scotiabank Arena ahead of Leafs and Flames. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the fan pregame. Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590. The fan, Alish Forfar, Justin Cuthbert. And a friend of ours from Scotiabank Arena, Julian McKenzie from The Athletic, joins us. Uh, Julian, you're looking dapper tonight. Look at you all dressed up for your Toronto wow. appearance. <laughs> I, I came with the heat, Ailish. I, I, this is it's my second time at Scotiabank. So, uh, nice. yeah, I had to, had to bust out the new sports jacket. Absolutely. <laughs> and I got the poppy, too. Yes. Oh, good, you got the good, poppy. Good. It's a good schmoozing opportunity being there right now. So I'm glad that you took the time uh, away from that to join us. We appreciate it. Uh, as much as you relish the opportunity to be in Toronto, I'm sure Nazem Kadri's doing the same. Uh, what was the vibe from Kadri? Is he still as fired up as he's ever been to return to Toronto and try and score goals against the Toronto Maple Leafs? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, I think any opportunity where he gets to be in the spotlight, he he really relishes it. And the fact that he's actually playing well over these last four games, he's on a four-game point streak, that helps too. It's really been fascinating to see how he started off his year where he didn't have, I think he had like one point in his first like eight games. And since then, he has picked up his play. And what's also been fascinating too is that, as opposed to Jonathan Huberto, who I'm sure we'll get to at some point, where it feels like the patience has kind of worn thin with him. Ryan Huska, the Flames head coach, has kind of gone out of his way to kind of praise some of the things that Nazem Kadri has been able to do. And I don't think he's saying that Huberto's work ethic is in question, but he's definitely gone out of his way to say that even as Nazem's production hasn't been where it should be, his work ethic uh, has still managed to stay the same as it should be. And the fact that he's playing alongside younger players like Connor's area has also helped as well. So, yeah, I, I'm thinking that he'll relish the opportunity to be back in Toronto under the lights Friday night. Enjoy himself. I, I could see him scoring. Oh, definitely. It's the revenge game. <laughs> Everyone always scores against the Maple Leafs when they come back into town. So we've already bet that one. Uh, let's go to Brad Tree Living before we get into some of the current uh, roster decisions or, or lack of decisions with Jonathan Huberdeau. We'll say that. Uh, Brad Tree Living. So Justin and I were deciding 
how he might be feeling tonight, uh, if he might be headed over to, to make some trade candidates and make some discussions happen. But this is a night about Brad Tree Living, about two rosters that he's constructed, and, and they're both in similar but different eras of their uh, fruition. So how do you think he's going to feel, and do you think this is a, a good opportunity for us to judge his work? I wonder if more time is needed, but also there are people in Calgary in my ear right now saying we've seen over 90 something games with this current <laughs> roster. We've maybe seen enough. Mm. And I don't know. I, I, I think for, for Brad, I, I can understand why he made some of the moves, at least during the summer I was coming in to cover the team and think they were trying to find a way to catch lightning in the bottle with the roster that they had and still try to compete. It, it just hasn't worked out the way that people in Calgary expected it to work. And now they're in this position where, they need to figure out about how to retool with some of these pending UFAs and, and not to bring up Huberto again, but considering the fact that contract's going to be there for a while, they're going to have to also find players who are going to be able to play with him and, and, and help maximize his value. It's kind of a weird, it's kind of weird to be in a situation where you kind of have to think about rebuilding for the future while also trying to find a guy who can play with your 10 and a half million player. Probably you could do both, but yeah, like Brad tree living essentially the roster as it is and, and, essentially what Craig Conroy has to deal with it. That's all, that's all true at this point, but to see what's going on in Toronto, where he has tried to put his own imprint, like the fact that he went out and got a guy like Ryan Reeves, like he, he's always been a guy who wants some kind of toughness in his lineup. Uh, he doesn't have Daryl Sutter uh, as a head coach, so he can, he doesn't have to worry so much about having younger players in the lineup. But I think the fact that he was able to get a, a guy like Ryan Reeves in the lineup, I'm not surprised that that happened, but to see that him Bertuzzi, Klingberg, some of those new guys, it hasn't really gone off to that great start. I mean, that's that's kind of rare, right? Like normally you sign guys, maybe one guy doesn't work and another guy works really well, but for almost all of them to not really pan out, like that's that's really rare. But to originally answer your question, I think just you know, he has his close relationships with with people in Calgary. Sheldon Keith even reiterated that today, but just having gotten to know Brad from from that time there. I mean, Chris Snow unfortunately passed away earlier this year. He made his way to Calgary and he was there for the funeral. He was there with all the other members of the front office staff in Calgary. So he sees someone who definitely, uh, you know, cherishes his time in, in Calgary he meant a lot there. His family was there. Uh, he's definitely going to be thinking about them, but I mean, he's, he's very much focused on his current job. Uh, there's a reason why the conversation always goes back to Jonathan Huberto because it's such a big deal, uh, clearly, for the Calgary Flames. The first year or the first month in to a contract that's going to pay him $84 million. I mean, Bradshaw Living's not going to escape it, but the Calgary Flames can't escape it, at least it seems. So I thought something was going to change going from Daryl Sutter to Ryan Huska. Maybe I didn't know Ryan Huska enough as I should have, but nothing really has changed. So are they looking at a scenario now because they could sell a lot at the deadline, they could you know, completely go into this transitional phase where they're a different team in the next couple of years. So they almost have to build around Jonathan Huberdeau, like with that pillar already in place, that things have to almost gravitate towards him. Does he hold that power just because of that contract. Essentially that's, that's, I kind of alluded to that dilemma earlier. Right. Mm. But at the same time, I think the flames kind of have to find a way to do both. Essentially, if you're getting in these younger players that are going to make you faster and are going to be able to make you skate funny enough, when you look at Huberto's successful year in Florida, he was around guys who were able to do that. And I understand that Sasha Barkov plays a role. And I mean, they didn't play on the same line for most of the time, but of course him playing on a different line, takes away certain defensive responsibilities. But Huberto, I mean, he's a guy who has to move his feet himself. But 
he saw success with a guy like Anthony Duclair, who is a good skater and is able to move around. And there's a really good article in sports in a couple of days ago, which basically illustrated the point that so many other guys around him have to move around and put themselves in good positions for him to make plays. And also the fact that he was playing in the Eastern conference where there's a lot of East West in his game or that that really worked out for him in his game, as opposed to the Western conference where it's a completely different style and it's so much more physical. There's a bit more adjusting that has to be done on his part. But yeah, I think if you're Craig Conroy now and you really have to go down that well of, of, of retooling, I mean, I, I think more games have to be played until we know for sure they're going to go down that road. But essentially you're looking at guys who can skate, who have speed and can ultimately play with a guy like Jonathan Huber. They can't just be guys who, yes, they might have a shot, but like if they're not able to move around and get themselves in position, they're not going to be able to, to cap the, to get those passes. Like I remember like last year, like as, as successful as Tyler Toffoli was, I felt like the chemistry between Huberto and Toffoli just wasn't just wasn't there as much just because Huberto would try to make these long stretch passes and Toffoli he's not that great of a skater like he's missing out on on some of them like you need a guy who can catch up to some of those plays so yeah definitely there's that's the dilemma that sort of presents itself for for Craig Conroy and Flames management that's on them to to do between now and the deadline. We're chatting with Julian McKenzie of the Athletic down at Scotiabank Arena, head of Leafs and Flames. Okay, so we've been hearing about a couple UFA defensemen that we might be interested in adding to our Maple Leafs roster. Uh, first of all, is it weird to do a trade like with your ex? Is that something that a, a Calgary-Toronto trade would work? I guess you know them pretty well, so you trust them. Asking Julian about his exes. <laughs> yeah, so let's go into that. Uh, and there's a couple, Hannafin, uh, Tanev, and Zadorov, who are UFA. So I wonder who would Maple Leafs fans want the best? I would imagine they probably want... Um... Here's what I'm thinking here, because Hannafin is a good defense when you could just have in your top four. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He could contribute offensively, defensively. Tanev is better defensively and might be had for less. You just have to ensure that, you know, he's healthy when you have them. Um, Zadorov, I know a lot of people might be interested in the key Zadorov, physical guy, but can skate really well, has some offensive jump in his game too. It's a good question. Hannafin, I mean, if there's there's always there's been those reports about how he would want to play in the States. So you might only have him as a rental. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty much down to Zadorov and Ten. Ten is a little up there in age. Maybe you're a little hesitant about signing him long term because of the age, because of the injury factor. So maybe that leaves Nikita Zadorov. He's like twenty eight, so that's some of his better years ahead of him. But that's if it gets to that point at the same time, right? Like that's if that's if Craig Conroy and, and Brad Tree want to make a deal together on that. And that depends on what the, the Toronto Maple Leafs would be willing to give in in return, right? I mean, remember, the Flames are going to want younger, younger players. They're going to want draft picks as well. A lot of that is going to go into any potential trade if it even gets to that point. Do you think uh, the Flames would be cool with dealing with your living? If the if the asking price was right, that's that's essentially what I think it is. That's just my feeling. I mean, I think for this Flames team, they've recognized that they don't have the speed to contend with certain teams. Uh, I mean, I think they have as a roster a team that could, if they play to their strengths, they can compete night out in, in some regular season games. But they desperately need that quickness, and they desperately want younger players in that lineup. I think if the if the Leafs are able to give them what they want in that sense. I don't see them having so much of a problem. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, I mean, there are people in front offices who go all over the place. I mean, Dave Nonis is part of the Flames organization now, right? Like, the Maple Leafs have an issue dealing with Dave Nonis? Like, I don't know. 
No, uh, no, I don't think so. But the, it is pretty fresh, right? Retro Living just getting up and leaving, right? <laughs> and maybe that was always trending that way. But it feels like True Living is the ultimate relationships guy. And maybe yes. if there was bad feelings, it would be more towards ownership. And ownership obviously has a call, but maybe not really with Craig Conroy. And it's very fascinating, though, because three defensemen who may be available, all unrestricted free agents, that's mm-hmm. exactly what the Maple Leafs need. And of course, True mm-hmm. Living just left there and signed the contracts they're on. Uh, so it will always be the one I think we're circling here in Toronto the most. Okay, Julian, get upstairs. Uh, we got to go, and you got to go. You got a Hall of Fame weekend in Toronto, and you got Mike Vernon, who's going to be on the ice very mm-hmm. soon. I'm sure that'll be uh, inter- uh, that'll be interesting to you and the Flames, of course, in Toronto. We appreciate you coming on, man. Get the press box Thanks popcorn. Thanks so for having me. Press box oh, popcorn. Yeah. And the pizza, too. The pizza, yes. too. I got to get, get that pizza before I leave. Go get them. Thanks, Julian. Appreciate it. Peace, guys. That's Julian McKenzie of The Athletic. Uh, Coach Bank Arena, Leafs, Flames tonight. Yeah, that press box popcorn. It's, uh, yeah, I, you're, uh, you're a huge I fan. I have a 100% success rate of eating an entire bag every single time we go there. Once we get through it, it's just like the floor <laughs> is just a mess beneath us. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, I kick a couple under you uh, just so I don't look too bad, but yes. You do actually do that. Okay, so we're going from Calgary to Vancouver. Uh, let's take a stop off at Edmonton on the way before we get Dan Riccio on the phone. We wanted to play the audio clip. Uh, I believe it was Mark Spector asking uh, Jay Woodcroft last night after the loss to San Jose Sharks, and they were calling it the Toilet Bowl. Yeah, it was a funny name for it. Uh, We all thought, okay, maybe today it's the end of Jay Woodcroft's coaching career with the Edmonton Oilers. It hasn't happened yet, so it seems like he might be safe. But this was his question and answer to Jay Woodcroft. It's a lousy question, but I got to ask it. You got a Stanley Cup contender that's in 32nd place here. Are you worried about your job? No, I worry about taking care of my daily business and my daily process and making sure that I give my players something to focus on and concentrate on. No one's happy with where we're at. We all own it. Uh, we can be better, and that's where my focus is. That's t- that is a tough question to ask. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark Spector had to do it, though. Um, I mean... I really thought it would be, but doesn't. But it doesn't really make sense. But sometimes you just need to. You might need to do something to do something, right? Yeah, I'm having trouble diagnosing this one. I, I guess there was an effort last night. Is it, it? Was it a chaotic effort? Was it too much? I'm not really sure, but I guess there was an effort. Still, though, what's plaguing the Oilers? I mean, there are a multitude of things, but the change in defensive structure has this team seemingly flummoxed, mm. and in a, in 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 a position, excuse me, where they can't get themselves out of it. And if they reverted back to what they were doing, maybe, but maybe you just need someone to implement something new, something that might be work, something completely simplified. And it doesn't look like Jay Woodcroft's going to go back on what he brought to the team this year. And that ultimately might be what results in him eventually leaving. One more audio clip to play. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl in the post game. Obviously they're not in a great spot emotionally. Uh, This was a, a response to a question from a reporter that maybe was more of just a comment. Keep trying to get better every day. And, um, yeah. Is that just it? Or it's like it doesn't feel like anyone's going right now. Have you ever experienced something like this where, you know, some, some guys slump, obviously, but it just feels like no one's going right now? Yeah, great, great observation. That's... <laughs> Leon's that got one sucks. of those moments every year. Great observation. He's got one of those moments every year. Uh, he might have another one. Uh, before this year is up. Uh, There are no such problems, though, in Vancouver. So let's bring in our next guest to talk about the Canucks. Dan Riccio of Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, Canucks Central, (laughs) 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Dan. 
Yeah, what's up? Uh, there's there's not a bad thing going in Vancouver right now. They've actually, I think they're the reason, like they're the one that beat the spirit out of the Edmonton Oilers, and that's why the Oilers are where they're at right now. <laughs> yeah, and they kind of have another opportunity to potentially mm-hmm. do that with the Maple Leafs. I mean, it's always interesting when the Leafs and Canucks go at it. They will on Hockey Night in Canada. I wouldn't say the Leafs are a wounded animal yet, but maybe a little bit more vulnerable than they normally are. Second half of back-to-back to boot. Uh, this weekend with the Canucks, is it like smelling blood here? Like this is an opportunity for Vancouver or Vancouver is almost, we don't have to worry about this right now because things are going so well for us that we don't have to worry about what's going on in Toronto. Well, I think the Canucks is as a whole, as much as they'll, uh, a lot of the players on the team would like to go in on in Toronto on hockey night in Canada Saturday and, and get a win on the big spotlight and kind of show everyone around the league, just how real they are. But the way that Rick Tockett or the Canucks would actually say it is, we just want to play our game each and every night. We want to play to our identity and they get, they've gotten really into cliches and they're all about professionalism and business. Like it's, it's a completely different world in Vancouver from what we've seen over the last couple of seasons. So we only really know uh, Canucks Twitter uh, over here. Sometimes very spicy. Oof. Sometimes it's a tough place. Angsty. It, it really but is. Nowadays, yeah. I wonder for you, like what's the fan base right now? Are they like shocked? Are they like, this is about time. How are they believing in it? Are they just, living in the moment because it's 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 surprising to many people but are they surprised or are they we deserve this everybody's dancing in the november rain with their canucks flags already out it's not even april it's not even playoff (laughs) season people got their flags out on their cars already it's uh, people are cautiously optimistic Mm -hmm. i'd say right you know they've they've seen this this train uh in the past and it maybe uh you know went off the tracks a little bit you think back to, to the mid-2010s and the, the Willie D year where they had over 100 points and it crashed and burned in the first round of the playoffs against Calgary. Now, that was a team that was, you know, hot on percentages. They had a great PDO that year, and everybody was like, yeah, this is fun, but it's not totally real. But this team, like, yes, uh, all of the PDO comments and they're running hot on save percentage and shooting percentage, all those things are true but if you're watching the Canucks and and just how they play you know they they look for more quality than quantity on offense that's one of the reasons they don't take a ton of shots and on defense it, some of the uh, proprietary data that I've that I've seen from Clear Sights Analytics and and have been talking to some people about they have the Canucks as a top 5 team in terms of allowing high danger chances against which means they are top 5 in not allowing those, which mm. is where you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. They're the opposite of the Maple Leafs right now. So that's kind of what is fueling this start. Yes, they're getting great goaltending. Yes, their stars are shooting the lights out. But some of it is by design. And while there will be regression, I'm not sure it's the crash and burn that some people might think it is. Yeah, uh, sometimes there can be more of an explanation for a, a good PTO, a PDO, excuse me. And if you do well to limit high dangers and give a great goaltender the ability to thrive in a reasonable workload, well, you just might get numbers uh, that will um, benefit you for the rest of the season or for the large majority of the season. And suspension of disbelief can be a great thing. Like, just enjoy it while it's happening. And I'm en- <laughs> I, I seriously think enjoy fans, wins when you can get them. Definitely, it's been pretty bleak here in Vancouver for a while. Now. Definitely, and Canucks fans don't have to like worry about like the shoe that might drop with Quinn Hughes. Like he's Norris caliber, and he was going to be that for a long time what's what's been the difference i know that he was a little banged up last year but quinn hughes seems like he's taken it to another level a norris trophy maybe a trophy winning level this year what what's behind quinn hughes start and what's impressed you the most about what he does on a nightly basis 
Well, it's everything that Quinn Hughes does. Uh, the way that he can skate the puck out of his own end, he's a human breakout machine, and it allows the Canucks to do so many things when when he's on the ice. And I think there's a couple of things at play here. Hughes has just had some natural progression to his game as he keeps getting older and into his mid-20s. He's added some tricks and, and tweaks in the offensive zone that he can get his shot off. And the Canucks are doing a better job of layering their screens when he gets his shot off so that, you know, the goalie is never getting a clear look when he's getting that shot off from the point. He's taking different angles with his shots. There's a lot that he is doing with his game that is allowing them to have, you know, more goals. It's something he's been wanting to do for a couple of years. But the other part of this is adding Philip Ronick. You know, I don't, going through training camp this year in Victoria, we didn't see Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick play at all together. And then all of a sudden, night one of the season, it's like, okay, they're putting their two best defensemen together tonight. And it's worked brilliantly ever since. You know, I can't even explain just how much, because he's had like he's never had a player as talented as Philip Ronick next to him. And it just seems to unlock another level of his game, gives him a little bit more comfortability to go up the ice, take some chances. All of those opportunities come together for Quinn Hughes when he's doing these types of things. And Philip Ronick has allowed him to unlock another element of his game. Elias Pettersson, too, has people talking about potential awards uh, this summer uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I got I got I, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of a take, but I think he might be a top five earner in the NHL next season, meaning a contract in excess of $11.5 million. Do you think he can cross in to the top five? I know it's a little bit more difficult on RFA, and he doesn't have all the luxuries of an unrestricted free agent, but he's played himself into that conversation for sure. A hundred percent he has, Justin. You're bang on. And I think the the, the whole contract negotiation – with Pedersen, like, yeah, there's, uh, as you know, that we saw the piece with Elliot Friedman on the boat in Sweden. Why doesn't Fridge ever take me on a boat somewhere? But anyways, uh, aside from that, it's really all about and has become about Pedersen thinking he's one of those types of players that he can be a 11 and a half, $12 million player in this league. And the Canucks basically saying, all right, let's see it. And I think that's where the conversation was in the summer. And now that we are seeing it, now that he is leading the league in scoring, I think you're probably going to see that contract or those negotiations pick up at some point during the season. It also helps that the Canucks are on fire right now. And he's believing a lot more into the project that they're building and that he can be the piece that helps them and leads them to more success. But that's really where I see this negotiation going is, is it going to be a $92 million contract? 96. Can he push a hundred? Maybe not that much, but that's the type of contract we're talking about with Elias Pettersson now. I wonder if the stressful conversations are as stressful as they are here about Nylander. Every time that he scores a goal, we're like, there's more money in his pocket, but <laughs> he's got to enjoy it, right? Just like how you guys are enjoying mm-hmm. all three teams that you play here on this Eastern trip on the second half of a back-to-back. So Pretty convenient. Yeah, I mean, it just happens to yeah. work out, eh, Canucks? Pretty good. Mm, okay. Somebody's working with the, 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 the schedule in the Canucks' favor for once because it doesn't happen all that often, I'll say that much. Well, you're right. Enjoy while you can. It's been uh, it's been fun to see Canada's sweetheart team go for a run here. Um, I know you're on, on the air in a couple of minutes, so we'll let you go, Dan. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, best of luck, but not tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, Dan Riccio, Sports Sense 650 in Vancouver, Canucks Central from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. Yes, they all play. The Canucks play a team on the back-to-back all three times as it comes through Canada on the East Coast here. They beat the Sens last night 5-2 pretty handedly. They're 10-2-1.
Uh, producer Mike goes, Canucks, Bruins, and Canes are the only teams without a loss at home. So the the locker rooms in Roger's Place? Is it Roger's Place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Roger's Place are probably so fun to be in. Uh, not like the audio clips we played of the Edmonton Oilers and those interviews. It'd just be like a joy. I bet the press passes are flying. Everyone wants to be around the Canucks right now. Yeah, I think everyone does, except, you know, for the teams that they're having to go head-to-head <laughs> with. It's certainly the Edmonton Oilers have had no fun with the Vancouver Canucks this year. I think we're still trying to figure out how real it is. But when you have elite, elite, elite level players who have the proper uh, partnerships, combinations, lines, pairings, whatever you want to call it, when you put those players in the position to succeed and you have a coach who is coaching the hell out of that Mm -hmm. team right now and not letting anything slip, good things can happen, good things can snowball I mean, Vancouver's got it all cooking right now, and they're getting guys at the second half of back-to-back, which helps out because they get to, uh, you know, they get to showcase a little bit more against a tired opponent, or at least it seems they do. Okay, a tweet from Luke Fox a couple minutes ago, quote, this is a must-win game for both teams, Noah Hannafin. It's big stakes tonight between the Leafs and the Flames. Noah, what do you mean Noah Hannafin? Just like thrown in there? Yeah. Oh, That's Noah Hannafin said. said that. Okay. Who do you think said it, Luke Fox? I thought it was just like no. Noah Hannafin's going to be traded if something <laughs> no. happens here. Like, Noah Hannafin said that to, about tonight's game. Okay, to answer the question Woo! you had, though, for Julian, Noah Hannafin, right? Noah oh, yeah. Hannafin. He was explaining Noah Hannafin. I'm like, please, put that in the yeah. shopping cart. It sounds like exactly <laughs> what, what the Maple Leafs need. And, yeah. and I am more... Uh, bullish on the possibility of this happening than I think Julian was. Like, I think he was, like, a little bit uneasy about, like, sending someone to the Toronto Maple yeah, Leafs do it. on his call with us. But I really, really think the method to improve or the means to improve for Brad Trilliving will come through Calgary, at least on the defensive core. These are guys who still need to get paid. I guess Chris Tanev was. But Noah Hannafin has not struck it rich yet. That deal is reasonable, mm-hmm. and that deal and that player makes so much sense for the Maple Leafs if they can get everything sorted and put themselves in a position where they should be buyers. Okay, big weekend for the Maple Leafs tonight and tomorrow. Big weekend for the Toronto Argos as they got the East Final tomorrow. A Expected to be a record crowd, maybe even 28,000 uh, within reach. They've already you headed sp- down? Uh, of course, Argos. Let's go, baby. Okay. Against Montreal Alouettes, of course. Uh, they're they're, they're going to make this Grey Cup thing a real, real possibility here. Yeah, I mean, they should. Defending champs. Defending champs, best team in the league. They're they're ready to go. I Feel think the Argos... Don't want to jinx it, but could be a good weekend for Toronto teams. They're going to Grey Cup. Big uh, Raptors and Celtics game tomorrow as well. So lots going on in Toronto and Hall of Fame. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back Monday. Enjoy your weekend.